If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 14 through 28. And before we get rolling here, uh, part of our desire going through the book of Mark and the leadership team, we've talked about what it would be like to walk methodically through a book and really not specifically verse by verse, but we're going to try to hit each section of scripture in the book of Mark. And, and uh, to give a little context of this book, basically Mark is a very fast-paced gospel. And the, the belief is that Peter and Mark were friends, and Peter was the eyewitness that hung out with Jesus while he walked the earth, um, and basically orated this to Mark while Ma- Mark wrote the gospel. And so you have Peter who was with Jesus every step of the way, and if you read through the book of Mark, you realize that uh, somewhere in the background or somewhere in the scene, Peter is there. And so imagine two friends and uh, Mark asking Peter, tell me about this, tell me about that, or Peter saying, and then there was this time this happened and that happened. And so Mark is recording this, and this is within 100 years uh, of Jesus's, uh, our, even the copies that we have are, are very, very early manuscripts. So after Jesus's ascension, obviously Peter was alive, and now here he and Mark are unpacking this. And so that's the book that we have in front of us now. Um, that's considered one of the four Gospels. Uh, One of the things that you're going to notice is the book of Mark is full of the things that Jesus did. Uh, The other Gospels unpack some of his teaching a little bit more. Uh, Mark basically goes from event to event to event. He's basically describing and using the activity of Jesus or the, the tasks that Jesus accomplished, whether miracles or whatnot, to anchor in this idea that Jesus' authority uh, is reflective of the authority that they were looking for in the Messiah to come. So with that, let's, let's read together. Um, so grab your Bible or your Bible app. Mark 1, 14 through 28. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 18, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boats with the hired servants and followed Jesus. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is alive and active, that it is powerful, that we can 
approach the scriptures knowing that we approach God himself. And I pray there would be a proper uh, posture of humility for me and for us as we approach you. And I praise you for inviting us in to your heart and your life. And so as we humbly come underneath you, we do so with boldness because of Jesus Christ and how he has brought us into himself that we can cry out to God the Father that you are our Father as well. And so I ask that your spirit would enlighten us tonight and that just the power of Christ would manifest itself uh, in our hearts and that we would express you to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that I think is interesting in, uh, well, Jesus' life in general, but specifically in the book of Mark, is when you, when you look back at history and you think of teachers, great teachers who had influence like Plato and Aristotle, usually their, their thoughts were what took um, center stage. They would express a thought or an idea, and that's what would take off. And obviously these men uh, received accolades for their thoughts, but, but it was their teaching that was front and center. And with Jesus, it's the opposite. Jesus places himself front and center, and then his teaching flows out of who he is. And so different than, I believe, all other um, people in history, Christ says, I want to declare who I am. I want to tell you what I'm about, and then from that, you can can take the the teachings and the principles. And again, Mark does this in a very, very um, in-your-face kind of way. So we kick off. And it's so interesting, as I read this, if I asked you, give me a a short take of what the gospel is, uh, you would probably quickly talk about, well, okay, man was sinful, Uh, it separated him from God, and so Jesus Christ came to earth, died on the cross to offer us forgiveness of our sins, was buried, rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, and if you put your faith in Jesus, you're a Christian, that's salvation. But how interesting is it where this, listen to this, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So we look at it from this side of the cross, right? And so we go back and we talk about what Jesus has done for us. It's interesting to think of Jesus proclaiming the gospel before he has gone to the cross, before he has raised from the dead. So it begs the question, what, what is the gospel? What, what did that look like? And the word, gospel, or the word gospel, the term gospel, basically means good news. And so at this point, Jesus isn't directing you right now to the cross and forgiveness and resurrection. It hasn't happened yet. But I believe um, just like Old Testament times, as Christ walked the earth, I think the gospel or the good news is basically that, that God has offered salvation. And so why do we need saved, of course, is because of our sin. Is because this sin separates me from my creator, from my God. And so even before Christ was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, God had an offer of salvation that he expressed to mankind. And so Old Testament saints had the opportunity to walk with God or to, to get right with God by expressing faith in God. And how that faith was expressed often was obedience. If God asked them to do this, and they do that. And it was accounted to them as righteousness, it says in Hebrews. 
And so the, I, I would say the hinge pin is the same. It's, it's faith in what God has declared or what God has done or who God is. And so Old Testament saints had the, the same opportunity. I don't know if I'd say same, but opportunity to be right with God based on their faith in God and obedience. At the same time, Old Testament saints had the opportunity to place faith in something to come. So they, they experienced, in some sense, a right standing with God, while in another sense they were kind of waiting for the fulfillment of the Christ or the Messiah. And so there was promises of the Messiah, which, which was Savior. And so they were waiting, the people of Israel are waiting for the Messiah to come and to fulfill this and to basically be, be their rescuer. Now, oftentimes in the Old Testament, you would see God re- God's rescue in a very uh, tangible um, earthly kind of way. So whether that be uh, Israel enslaved to Egypt, and then God's rescue of them is he ushers them out of Egypt, right? Or as they're, they're being chased, he parts the Red Sea, and there's a very earthly, tangible, physical rescue from death or peril. Or the Amalekites are attacking them, and all of a sudden he raises up armies and destroys them. Or think of David and Goliath. The Philistines are ready to enslave them and um, send them to the grave. And so he raises someone up. And so God has always and continued to establish this rescue plan, whether it be physical or spiritual. And he does the same for us. At times he decides to, to rescue us and save us physically. But at the heart of God, and more specifically when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's talking about the redemption of our souls. Our souls that are destined and determined in our sin for condemnation and for the wrath of God. And he's declaring the rescue plan is, is basically reaching a new level now. And with that, he's declaring his identity. And so in the book of Mark, one of the things that you're going to see over and over and over is Jesus establishing his identity. And I think Mark, the author, is trying to make claim on who Jesus is in no unsettled terms. He's trying to be very straightforward and clear on this is who Jesus is, and obviously everybody's searching for and looking for this Messiah. Now going back to the gospel and what it, what it means to have Jesus t- pro- proclaim that and teach that, And to say the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's still declaring repent and believe. So we've talked about repentance, basically the idea that first and foremost we have to recognize there's a problem. And the problem is the disease of my sin and self-centeredness. And so first Jesus makes the claim that has always been made from the beginning to the end of scripture. Repentance, believe in the word of God. Now here's a really cool thing that that I, I think gospel means good news. And this is another thing that separates all other religions in the world that I know of from Christianity. Basically, good news is a declaration. News is, is an announcement. It's, it's a declaration of something. All other religions of the world give advice. There, here is advice on how to get right. And so from advice, what do you do? You, you have to choose to take that. Now, the Bible is full of advice. My job as a biblical counselor, I sit and try to give biblical advice to people. But the gospel is different than that. The gospel is, is, is a herald that brings about good news. And oftentimes, it was something that was done 
sometimes outside of you or maybe for your sake. Imagine, uh, imagine the world wars, and so there's all kinds of, of battle going on, and maybe soldiers were in the midst of battle or not, but all of a sudden they get the gospel or the good news that, hey, the war is over, and they celebrate that. There's no, there's no advice at that point. It's simply a declaration. The war is over. So in a sense, both sides settle down. They go back to their bases simply because this proclamation. And you think about the people at home, the people in the United States during World War II, what happened. There's great celebration. And all the people that had their focuses or the jobs that were supporting and providing for the military, they wrap up what they're doing and they try to find the rhythm of normal life. What is that? It's simply a response to a declaration. And I I believe that is such a picture of grace for us, that the good news is something that's happened and been done to us. In a sense, the war's over. Now, how is Nick Ewing going to respond to that? Is there going to be gratitude and thankfulness and proper response now that I recognize that man can get right with God once again? That salvation is offered me. Every other religion in the world will tell you, here's some advice that you need to follow in order to try to get right with this higher being. Jesus says, this is the good news, and he's getting ready to bring this in full color. And he's, That's why he says, it's here, it's now, because it's me. Again, he's establishing who he is. He's declaring in very, very strong language, I am salvation. I am the Messiah. How do these people respond? One of the first things he does is to, to show this, instead of just declare it, because if you just declare something for yourself, you might perk people's ears a little bit, but then what are they looking for? Prove it. They need some proof. And so a lot of the first half of the book of Mark is Jesus expressing and showing and proving his authority. Uh, verse 16, if you have it. Passing, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees Simon and Andrew casting their nets into the sea, and he says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going further, he calls James and John. They leave their nets, they leave their father, and they follow him. So this is unique in that most of the time, a pupil would seek out a rabbi. So if I desired to be discipled by a rabbi, I would, I would look for one and I would request if I could follow them. And Jesus does something pretty different. He walks over and he sees these two guys and he says, you guys, come with me. And they go. And he walks over and he says, you guys, come with me. And they go. And there's this incredible kind of reading between the lines, this draw that Jesus has to men. And it's almost, it just carries a great weight of authority. And I don't, I don't know what a modern-day example would be, I suppose if, uh, if we're, I don't know, traveling in an airport and you have um, a celebrity with great power and great honor, or maybe it's the president, right? And whatever you feel about the president, if we're all just sitting there waiting for our flights and the president comes up and says, I need you two to come with me. Okay, probably put your stuff down and go. What, what does he have to say, right? And so Jesus calls... And they immediately follow. There's an authority and there's a draw to his presence and his word. 
Next, we talk through the preaching and teaching is different than what they've heard before. And again, religion in this culture is like the epicenter. And so there is a synagogue in a town, and people go there often. And, you know, there's a lot of us out here who are regular attenders of church, but the whole culture centered around this idea. Now, it wasn't always Christianity, right? There was all kinds of other temples to, to heathen gods, but the culture itself was immersed in religion. So they got a lot of teaching. And in verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So this isn't what they were used to. So again, please keep in mind what Jesus is trying to do here. He's declaring himself as the author, as authority, And interesting, this word, it's not only that he speaks with a loud voice or that he speaks with confidence, but the word when it says he he proclaimed and he preached with authority, not as the scribes, basically means as the original. And so you think about this. They're saying he's not just teaching like I am. I'm teaching about another man's teaching, or I'm teaching about another man. Jesus is teaching as the author of life. He's teaching as the author of all things, as the original. And so apparently that was felt and that was known that they're sitting there going, this is like nothing we've ever heard. And again, I think specifically it's less what he's teaching, even though that's important, and more just the presence of who he is. There's an idea that what he speaks comes from who he is. Next, he, I think he establishes authority in a more, well, I guess more spiritual conflict type way when he, he heals this demonic, right? And so in verse 23, it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of the man. And they were all amazed. Okay, so first and foremost, I guess I'll say, I have my ideas of why Jesus continues to kind of shut up the demonic, even though they're proclaiming who he is, the Holy One of God. We know you. Have you come to destroy us? Um, This is just my take. I I don't know for sure. I haven't dug into this enough, but... I believe it can be incredibly confusing. One, I think there's a beauty in the demonic have been around uh, since the fall of Satan, and so they know Jesus. They're his created beings, and so they're aware they recognize Jesus. And so there's a beautiful carryover to us that when there's spiritual battle going on in your life or when there's demonic presence, uh, I heard a guy say one time, demons don't have babies. And basically the idea is nowhere in scripture do we get this idea that the demonic reproduce. So any demon, any spiritual unclean spirit that is around us trying to attack us, that spirit witnessed Christ's resurrection from the grave. And so our job is to simply remind them of that. That's a beautiful authority. And I think the reason Jesus doesn't let 
the demonic proclaim who he is, because in my mind, that'd be very confusing. Where you have, uh, you have this evil that is representing death and bondage and separation from relationship and convulsion and all kinds of unhealth. It'd be pretty confusing for the source of life and redemption and restoration and unity to come from that, right? It'd be, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? They're not a credible source. So I believe that Jesus, because they knew who he was, but they didn't know all of who he was in belief, right? They didn't express faith in Jesus. So he doesn't want the source coming there, so he tells them to shut up. And then more so, he casts them out, and they have to listen, and they have to obey. So Mark continues to highlight all of these casting out of the unclean spirits that Jesus does to show that this man has authority over the spiritual realm, that this man is more than simply a teacher, that this man named Jesus is the Christ. And I believe that's why Jesus was so active for a time on earth. Now, he didn't go and heal everybody. He didn't go and cast out every demon. But he was getting it done, right? This way and that way, because I think he came to establish, this is who I am. You've heard of a Savior. You've heard of a Messiah. You've heard of a Christ. And his name is Jesus. And so he puts his action on display. The gospel of God offering redemption to mankind that man can once again be back in harmony with his creator. That all through the ages we've known that something is a little bit off, that something is, is amiss. First with our God and your own self, you feel all these contradictions and all these poles, one way to selfishness and the other way to giving. And then you realize how, how much that hits each other, where I recognize, man, I would love to, to be for this person, but a part of me wants to be, take from that person. And you see how the world operates and spins when God isn't at the center of the heart or of a country or of a family. And so the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming is that you can once again be made right with God. Now, I think that is the good news, but Jesus came to show us this is how the gospel is going to come to fruition. I am how the gospel is going to come to fruition. And so I see that being one of Mark's um, objectives, is as he says, okay, now we know that the gospel of what that is, man becoming right with God once again, and this is how it's going to happen. And so Jesus first has to establish that he is the Messiah. And then we get the beauty of looking back on the things that have already happened. That Christ came, lived a perfect life in obedience to the Father on behalf of you and me. He took the test for me. That as Christ offered up himself on the cross, and we recognize as we spell out the gospel, the cost and the full extent of what this means to us, but if we can start to see, it helps me realize when I'm reading through the book of Mark, oh, now I understand why he pulled this fact out, but he didn't talk about this idea. Because Mark doesn't 
at this point, he's not unpacking a lot of things other than this is what Jesus did. 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 So looking back, reading through it years later, it starts to make sense to us, doesn't it, where we have the context a little bit because we know the author's objective. Now, full circle, we get to meditate and focus on something that they don't. And I guess that's, that's what I want to convey tonight as we wrap up, is that we have, we have the beauty of not only looking at the Gospel of Mark, because honestly, a lot of us have, have already known and recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is our Savior. And most of the time, we spend talking about discussing of how the how he came to save us, the sacrifice of the cross, the forgiveness of our sins, the resurrection from the dead. So if you haven't spent time thinking about that, I challenge you to look into it. Ask a lot of questions. Why did that have to be? Why did he have to live perfectly? Is the resurrection really that important? Well, our belief, and according to Paul, it is absolutely important. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then our religion is totally in vain. Jesus was then just a pretty good teacher. But after we have settled on that, as a Christian and as one who has put their faith in God, we're called to, one, meditate on that to respond in thankfulness. And, guys, I've known these truths my whole life. And the, the things of the day, the things of the world, I get so caught up in. And so it takes my focus. And God continues to say, get your eyes back on what I've done for you. The good news, the gospel, grace. You sit here, whatever's going on in your life, you sit here with eternal life. You know God. God has declared you his son. Every day we have opportunity to be so thankful for that. And then from that, I can actually start focusing on conversations with you or you know, just the fun of the day. But somewhere within the eyes of our soul, there's this continual thankfulness because of the gospel. And as a result of that, I can pick up this book and I can know God more as I unpack what Mark was trying to say, as I realize it makes more sense of Jesus is simply establishing himself as the long-awaited Messiah. And so I don't just believe it because of a flannel board that I saw Boomer throw up when I was in his Sunday school class. I believe it because time and time and time again, evidence has shown that this is the Messiah. Jesus is different. Jesus wasn't just a teacher or a man. And here's the proof text. He declared himself to be the Son of God, and then he went out and he backed up his word with all of these things. Let's pray. Father, I sometimes am still amazed that uh, holding the Bible in my hand and having the opportunity to look into it and to read it, um, it's easy to sometimes just see it as a, a book of principles, a book of teaching, a book of advice. But God, your word says that what we get opportunity to read is the very voice of God. And so each time that we look into it, each time that we discuss it, and each time that we share it or preach it or study it, that we get a touch of God. 
Stand in the road and you get hit by a truck. Stand in the Bible and you get kissed by God. And so I pray that we continue to stay in the Bible. I thank you for the declaration and the, the works of Jesus Christ. And that we live in an age, in a, a time where we can actually look back and see the finished work of the cross. And so melt our eyes to tears. To let us live from that power and that humility. And because you loved us and poured that onto, onto us, we can love others. Thank you for using people like Mark to write this stuff down. That's a man just like us, but moved by the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name. Amen.